You are listening to First Church Charlotte. all of you. Great to see you all here today. I want to echo uh, Pastor Ed's comments on giving thanks to all of those who have given their life for freedom. Uh, I have uh, been exposed to enough military men um, and women to know the deep reverence that exists within them um, and should exist in all of us. But if you are exposed to that culture at all, you realize just how much it's almost, uh, it almost has a religious type of awe and reflection um, as they consider those who have um, given, given their life. If you haven't been exposed to that, find yourself some, a podcast or something where there, a lot of military men talk. Um, you, will be, you, you will hear the deep reverence that is in them for those heroes who gave their life. Um, I've been exposed to some of it. Uh, some of the famous guys, famous right now, like Jocko Wilnick, uh, he has a podcast. He tells stories of men he served with. Um, that's probably, I would say, the easiest way to get exposed to that deep reverence that is within that community uh, for those people. I, I found him. I've been to his gym in Southern California. I've actually uh, trained with him and his guys, and it's just a deep, uh, almost humbling sense. And I think it shouldn't just be the people who are exposed to that community who reverences them. I think all of us who have benefited from their sacrifice should reverence them. And can I have a big first church amen? Uh, We're glad for our friends and guests today. We are having, as was mentioned, a a get-together today afterwards, a picnic of sorts. It smells so good over there. When I went over there, I had a real difficult time being spiritual. And I know that I'm the only thing between you and that good-smelling food, so I'll be sure to keep it under two hours because I know that's the limit of your, your ability. Excited about Bold Weekend coming up. Uh, it's going to be amazing. Uh, also, we got a new cool toy up here uh, on the stage for the preacher. Um, uh, this is uh, so you cannot just hear, but you can also see. And um, by putting it right behind me, um, they figured how can they get me to stay on the sermon. So they just thought they'd put the notes right here behind me where you would know if I was taking too long. So anyway, love you. God bless you all. My title today is simply this, how did I get here? Real quick question, how many of you, how many of you have ever been in a situation, a place, a moment where you just, you just stopped and you were like, how in the name of all that is good did I get here? Anybody ever, ever feel that way? Um, I'll never forget uh, renting snowmobiles uh, when I was much younger than I am now. Young men need to take risks as a substitute for meaning in their life. Once you get older and actually have had some real risk, you'll need to take much less risks. But young men, they, they take risks as a substitute uh, for meaning in some ways. They find their boundaries. And I, I went down some trails <clears throat> I should never have gone down. And I I got on the wrong side of the mountain once, and um, I, I could not get back up the mountain. I mean, I was miles into a national park on a snowmobile up in Colorado, and the way the mountain was sloped is you'd start up, and the, the machine had power, but it wouldn't hold straight. It would start falling off, and then you'd have to go all the way back to the, mountain, to the bottom. <clears throat> it was so steep, you couldn't, couldn't walk on it. You couldn't crawl up it. 
It was ridiculous. There was absolutely no reason whatsoever to be there. I'll never forget after failing several times and realizing that I was going to have some difficulty getting out, um, I, I sat there and I asked myself, what had led me to this moment? And I thought of all the decisions that I had made that led me to this moment. And uh, finally, I got out. I got out. I counterweighted it by laying off the side of the snowmobile, reaching under the handlebars. The handlebars are right here facing that way. I reached under it with this hand and grabbed the middle handlebar, and I reached with this hand and grabbed the throttle, and I laid in the snow and held the throttle down while it pulled me up the mountain. So this is great time to give life advice to people. There's no reason for you to risk your spine like that. You just can't buy a spine at Walmart. <clears throat> you know what's funny about that, amen, is my dad is much worse daredevil than I am. Preach it, Sister, sister Bishop Rist right there. You just preach that. Uh, I'll never forget one time I was a, I was a young man, and uh, we were driving to a conference, and uh, he had a fast car, and uh, we pulled out to pass these cars, and he floored it, and he was enjoying the power of this fine engineering as he just ripped past car after car after car after car after car, and I mean, we're like... 90, 95, 100, and he pulls back into his lane and hits the brake right as a highway patrol comes around the corner. And the best part of the story is right when he pulled back into the lane, he said, And right after that, the highway patrol said, And so as we sat on the side of the road, uh, Sister Elm said, How did I get here? And begin to think of all her life choices. That had brought her uh, to this moment. If you find yourself in a, a dilemma, a, a painful reality, it's natural for you to <clears throat> look back and kind of ask, now, how exactly uh, did I get here? I, I want to speak to someone today. Perhaps uh, your life has turned into a bit of a, a mess. Uh, you're beset with fear and stress, and there is uh, serious, shall we say, <laughs> serious uh, issues in your life, and you're asking yourself, how, how did I get to this, this moment? Um, I, I, I want to say to you that I believe the Lord will take the circumstance and bring it to a good resolve in your life. In fact, I, I can say that with confidence because this church is filled with people who found themselves in exactly the same reality. Their life was filled with fear, stress, loss, and pain, and they had to find a way forward spiritually. Do I have any witnesses in the house today of how God can put you back together again? So I want you to join me all in saying it real loud. In the middle of your trouble, it might be natural for you to ask this question. Say it with me. How did I get here? When the enemy attacks you and you feel yourself in real spiritual uh, difficulty, it may be natural for you, say it with me, to ask this question, how did I get here? It's an important question to ask because it means you are being reflective enough to stop the momentum of your bad decisions. Did you hear what I said? Uh, bad decisions get their own momentum. Do you know that to be the truth? That is absolutely the truth. It's like one bad decision leads to another bad decision leads to another bad decision. It's like a lie leads to another lie leads to another lie leads to another lie. A crime leads to another crime. 
most novels that are about crime, uh, they always start with someone making uh, one decision, and they think that's the end of it, but that's never the end of it. Why? Because they're trying to reflect the way this works in real life. Same with any narrative, any story, whether it's a novel, whether it's a movie, whether it's a series. It's all showing you this progression. This led to this. So it is in your life. One thing uh, leads to another. But there's a moment. There is an absolute moment when you stop and you say, how did I get here? At that moment, you have the opportunity to make a change of what is happening, why it's happening, and what you do next. As long as you just keep running, uh, chances are the momentum of the error is just going to snowball and snowball in your life. So let's say you're in this kind of a moment and you decide to come to church and uh, there's this part of you that says, well, if I go to church, I know what the preacher's going to say to me. I, I know, I, I don't even have to go. I, I know what he's going to say to me. He's going to say to me some version of, I need to get my eyes back on Jesus. And then he's going to say to me uh, some version of, after I get my eyes back on Jesus, I need to make sure my values represent uh, this life of following after Jesus. And then, and then he's probably going to say something about, you know, uh, I need to start speaking things of faith. I need to start speaking positive and quit speaking doubt and fear and anger and rage. How many of you, how many of you have had those thoughts in your life? You've heard that preached enough where you could preach it to yourself. In fact, you should preach it to yourself. In fact, I should be not the most common preacher you hear you should be the most common preacher you hear. As you say to yourself, all right now, not this, but that. Not over here, but over here. Uh, I want you, all of you, to have that desire within yourself to, to receive the reproof of the Lord and redirect your life appropriate to uh, God's will. So I want to tell you a story. You know I do this every Sunday. I take the stories of Scripture, they are sacred stories, and I try to apply them to your life. So when you leave here, church isn't just something that you do on Sunday, but it is now an understanding, it is a knowledge uh, base, it is a skill set. You're able to take the Word of God and apply it to your life. It's not enough for you to enjoy the preaching. You need to apply the Word of God to your life. Can I have an Amen. It's not enough for you to enjoy the worship. It's not enough for you to be a church person. You have to be a Christian when you're not at church. You have to live that out as a spiritual way because that is what you are invited to. So the story I want to tell you is the story of a mighty, mighty prophet, a mighty, powerful prophet, the kind of person that you, don't, you tend to think uh, he, he doesn't go through what I go through. If you've ever been around somebody really uh, mightily used of God, there is this tendency within yourself to kind of separate you and your own issues from this mighty man or woman of God as if they don't really know what it is to face what I face. They're so spiritual. When they walk around, there's angels following them with palm branches saying, oh, come ye holy, come ye holy into the house of the Lord. That's not how I live my life. I just try to make it through the week without going to jail. Uh, I'm not preaching about my wife today, but I, 
I am trying to, you know, relate to everyone here today. Um, uh, I love you, babe. Uh, I know I tease you a lot, but it's just flirting. You know that. It's them that don't know that. You and I know that. Yeah, I'll deal with you later. Okay. All right. <laughs> Um, so uh, the, the, the reality is Elijah was a mighty, mighty prophet of God. Somebody say mighty. I'm not talking about he, you know, came to church and he was blessed. I'm talking miracles flowed through him. He was the kind of guy who you think he doesn't face what you face. So uh, he is, has this goal. He has this spiritual calling in his life to lead the house of Israel to re- spiritual revival. They, they've turned to the way of idols. They're worshiping uh, other deities, primarily Baal. And they think that is where their blessing is. And they have lost their spiritual inheritance. What is their spiritual inheritance? It is that covenant given to their patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They have lost what it means to be a sojourner after God. There was a day... When it was natural for their family, their people, their tribe to pursue the uh, intangible, to pursue a city whose builder and maker was God, but now they have their own cities. They're no longer seeking a city whose builder and maker is God. They, they now have their own cities. It's no longer a life of placing their feet in a land that God would show them, and they're digging a well to show it is a place of blessing and building an altar to show it is a place of worship. They have lost that. The wells have already been dug and the altars have already been built. Let me just pause here for a moment and try to show you something as an appeal uh, to all of you strong believers. Uh, Churches, uh, believers, individuals, we uh, need memorials in our life. That's why I like a weekend like this week is important. Memorials are about memory. They are about remembering what has been done. It is very important. Uh, but a uh, memorial is different than an altar. A memorial is a memory of what God has done. An altar is seeking after what God has yet to do. There is a risk in all religions that they become a celebration of what God has done, not a seeking for what God will do. It is possible for churches to get trapped in their culture, trapped in their mission, trapped in their theology, where everything is a celebration of some grand day, uh, some uh, mysterious Uh, shall we even imagine, sentimental past, and they lose the seeking of what God will do. So let me very quickly uh, address all of you young people. Uh, It's not enough for you to remember what God has done for your grandparents. It's not enough for you to remember what God has done for your parents. That's important. Memorials have their place, but a memorial can never replace an altar. It is not enough to remember what God did in the 90s. We have to seek at what, for what God wants to do in 2021. It's not enough to celebrate the revival that happened for an uncle or an aunt or a grandparent or a great-grandparent. It's not 
for enough for us to remember and then try to surround ourselves with a living memory of what God has done, we have to be sojourners. We have to be seekers. God, I'm looking for what you will do now. I'm looking at what you can do through my life. I am here to worship and seek what you would bring about in this hour and in this day. Yes, we must remember, but we cannot lose the pursuit and the seeking of what God will do. So having said that, I believe there are greater things to come than the church has ever seen before. I believe there is greater uh, spiritual purpose, greater ministry influence, greater than we have ever known before. And can the church say amen? So Elijah is trying to regenerate uh, in the life of the house of Israel to try to wake up within them a desire, a longing for uh, their relationship with God. And uh, he is representing uh, the Lord to the people. And he does so in various ways. He brings God's correction. He speaks God's judgment. Uh, He also challenges the prophets of Baal to a, a spiritual uh, showdown. You might, you might call it a religious gunfight, and that's what they, he, 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 he challenges Baal to a real firefight, and uh, this is what happens, and all the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, they're out, they're imploring for Baal to answer by fire, and Elijah is in his element. He has the assurance of God And uh, when the fire does not fall for the prophets of Baal, he goes out. He makes the challenge to God even more difficult by taking the sacrifice that had been prepared um, and digging a a trench around it and pouring water all over it to show this is not a trick. Uh, Tricks aren't new. Tricks are as old as humanity. But he does this with the water to show the people, this is not a trick. He believes that if they have a sign, they will serve the Lord. Their problem is not spiritual rebellion, he thinks. Their problem is spiritual manifestation, he thinks. And he thinks if they get more manifestation, then they will turn and they will serve Yahweh. And for some of them, this is the case. So it is in our life. For some people, when God begins to work, that moves them. But that's not everybody. Not everybody needs manifestation. Some people are living with spiritual rebellion. They refuse to see no matter what God does. They will explain it away no matter what God does. Why is that? They're seeking something besides God. Who knows what it is, but that is what they are seeking. And so uh, the prophet pours water all over the sacrifice. And then he prays, fairly short prayer, and guess what happens? God answers by fire. Uh, It is a profound moment in the life of the house of Israel. All the questions have been asked, and Elijah thinks this is the end of the story, and the whole house of Israel is going to turn toward him. He mistakes a need for spiritual manifestation um, when the problem is not a lack of that. It is, a, it is the existence of spiritual rebellion. And so you can see how this doesn't work out well. Jezebel, uh, the queen, hears about uh, what has happened. Uh, she didn't come out for the uh, religious, um, shall we say, uh, firefight. And uh, she sends word 
that she is going to kill Elijah. Now, what's interesting about this that I want you to see is that Elijah, they have been hunting Elijah for years. They've been trying to kill Elijah for years. This isn't new, but this time it strikes fear into his heart. What does he do? Well, he does what a lot of us would do. He runs from God. He runs from his purpose. He runs from his calling. Uh, He runs from his place of ministry. And as he runs, he, he in some ways, uh, it's almost as though he has uh, turned a whole new page. It's like, my plan has failed. I don't know what to do now. I guess I will just run and hide. That is his plan. And he runs until he can't run anymore. And you can read the story in uh, 1 Kings chapter number 19, uh, Jezebel in verse uh, number 19. Uh, or excuse me, chapter 19, verse number 1 and 2, Jezebel resolves to kill him. Verse number 3, uh, he saw that she has sent men to kill him. Verse number 3, when he saw that, uh, he arose and ran for his life. First he saw, then he ran for his life. He goes to Beersheba, that's in Judah. He left his servant there. He runs on by himself. He gets into the wilderness. He sits down, sits down under a tree, and he says, just Lord... Let me die. Now, this is uh, what depression looks like. But some of you didn't need me to tell you that. You know exactly how that feels. I will not ask you to say amen. He says, just let me die. He said, this is enough. Now, Lord, take my life. And then he makes a strange statement. I am no better than my father. No one had ever said he was better than his father. No one had ever introduced this idea. Uh, Basically, his point, I believe, is to say, They struggled and they failed. I'm no better than they are. I guess I was always fated to struggle and fail. I want to stop that, and I want to speak to anyone here today who feels like God has ordained you to struggle and fail. It is not God's ordination upon you for you to struggle and fail. You are are spiritually ordained to be more than a conqueror. Yes, there will be trouble, but you're coming through your trouble. Yes, there will be difficulty, but you are coming through your difficulty. You say, but you don't know what I'm going through. You're exactly right. I don't. The word of the Lord, however, is clear. He is going to bring you out of your difficulties. And so he is exhausted. He falls asleep under this tree. An angel of the Lord appears to him. And the angel has brought food. That's always a good thing. I assume it was angel food cake. He says, arise and eat. And he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat. The journey is too great for you. Look at the tenderness of this moment. Look at the care of the Lord. Is Elijah where he's supposed to be? Somebody say no. Does he have the attitude he's supposed to have? No. Is he strong and victorious? No. Is he depressed? Yes. And the Lord's still kind to him. The Lord's still long-suffering with him. I want you to know today that in spite of the difficulties of your life, the Lord is reaching gently for you. He loves you. He's long-suffering with you. He arises and he runs uh, with the strength of that rest and that food. The Bible says 40 days and 40 nights all the way to Horeb, the mountain of the Lord. And it is here he goes into a cave 
And this is a mountain that has great significance in the life of the children of Israel. This is the mountain where God has met, where God has spoken, where God has given. It is here in this mountain where they have known the presence of the, God, of the Lord would meet with them. This is where Elijah goes to Mount Horeb. And there he's in a cave and the Lord speaks to him. The word of the Lord comes, verse number nine. And what does the Lord say to him? Well, the Lord says the same thing to him. Uh, that I am challenging you to say to yourself, uh, what am I doing here? The word of the Lord says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah has his reasons organized. He's like us. He, he has reasons organized. They're not always the real reasons, but they're the reasons that work in that moment. You know what I'm talking about. He says, look, I've done my work. I've been very zealous. The children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets, and with the sword, I alone am left, and they seek to take my, take my life. I want to say this is nothing new. He has been hunted for years. He has been pursued for years. But now, all of a sudden, it's discouraging to him. Uh, and so I want you to see where there is twice that this question is asked. The first time is here when the Lord says, what are you doing here? Now the Lord is going to show him something. He says, go outside the cave. He does. He stands on the mountain before the Lord and the Lord passes by. This is the same image of Moses on the same mountain being hid on the cliff of, cleft of the rock. This is the same spiritual um, the same structure of spiritual symbol. And he goes and he has a cloak over his face and uh, the Lord passes by and there's a great and a strong wind. It tears the mountain, breaks the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake and all the earth is shaken. Last week I preached, love you like an earthquake. And the Lord shakes the whole uh, earth, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, what's next? A fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Now, this is important because Elijah believed that if the Lord answered by fire, the people would turn their hearts back to him. Do you see? This is all important images that give us sacred insight into this moment. The very thing Elijah thought the nation needed is not in this moment how God is showing him his presence. God let fire fall, but then this, in this moment, the Lord is not in the fire. And then the passage that we, uh, that we quote so often, uh, uh, really, uh, one to another, uh, the, after the fire was a still, small voice. We quote this to each other. We encourage one another with it, that the Lord speaks to us in the still, small voice. But I've never heard a message preached about what God actually said with the still, small voice. I haven't. Uh, I don't remember. I thought about it this morning. Have I ever heard a message about this? I've heard lots of messages about the still, small voice. I've preached lots of messages about the still, small voice. I've never preached or heard preach what, does the, what did the still, small voice actually say. Would you like to know? I'm going to tell you. It said this. Hey, what are you doing here? Um, uh, some of you guys remember uh, years ago we used to have... Uh, 
uh, Charlie Mahaney uh, come preach for us. And his nickname for me was Ignorant. He always called me Ignorant. Now, I, uh, was, I sought to live that out as best I could. And uh, he would be preaching, and he was, he was a rough old guy. You know, he had been saved out of that biker lifestyle. And back then, we, we had pews on the platform because we were holy. And we would, I'm teasing. I'm just cutting up. I sat over here as a, a, a holy man. You understand? I'm just teasing. I was never holy. I'm sitting over here, and, 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 and Charlie Mahaney would come by, and he'd, I was sitting right here. He'd come by, and he'd be preaching. In the middle of the message, he would talk to me, but he didn't refer to me as, as Nathan or Nathan. Uh, our, our pastor, Nathan, nothing. He, always, he is ignorant. And he would say things like, you write some of that down, ignorant. It'll get you kicked out of some good districts. <laughs> I miss him. He was a, he was a unique, uh, anointed man. Uh, we still have some of the recordings of his message. But it's almost as though when the still, small voice speaks, what does it say? Well, if it sounds like Charlie Mahaney, it goes like this. Hey, ignorant, what you doing here? We preach about the still, small voice. What does it say? This is what it says. Stop the momentum of your bad decisions and consider something. So in the manner of a still small voice, I want to challenge someone to stop the momentum of your bad decisions and to consider some things. Elijah, yes, he's mighty. He's still prone to getting a momentum going of fear, a momentum of defeat, a momentum of discouragement, and he needs God to stop him and say, whoa, just slow down for a moment. Let's talk about what you are doing. Now, you remember how I said earlier how you know you go to church and you hear the preacher say things. You've heard it a thousand times. It's always some version of get your eyes back on Jesus. Let the church say amen. In fact, I'm going to say these three. Whatever your, pit per, your favorite response to the preacher is, I want you to shout it out. Uh, how many of you say amen more than anything? That's your favorite. How many of you say something else besides amen? Does anybody say my God? Yeah, he needs to say it over here. Uh, I've been to church. Some people say all kind of stuff. I've been to churches where people would say, preach it. I've been to churches. I was at one church. The guy would always say, break it down, make it plain. Uh, whatever your favorite is, okay? In fact, you could make one up for right now. I'm going to give you what you hear when you go to church and you hear some good preaching, okay? Number one, get your eyes back on the Lord. Man, y'all build my ego up around here. I'm, I'm going to be something else before you know it. Okay, so get your eyes back on the Lord and the church says. What's the second thing you hear all the time from preachers? Well, you hear some version of this. Get your purpose right. Seek the kingdom of God. Don't pursue the things of this world. All that can be summed up in some version of seek ye first the kingdom of God. Can I have a... All right. Number three, you go to church and you hear some version of the preacher saying you need to speak faith in your life. Quit speaking fear. Quit speaking doubt. Quit speaking your fears and start speaking the promises of God. And one more time, let the church say, thank you very much. I'm feeling very good. I'm ready to preach another hour now. And so uh, here you, you, you have heard this, but I want to show you how profound it is. I want to show you absolutely how profound this is. This, even if you're as powerful as a prophet like Elijah, you still have to do these three things. 
Even if you're so holy, when you walk, your feet don't touch the ground. You still have to do these things. Even if you are the type of person who can pray and God answer by fire, you still have to do these things. Even if God hides you in the cleft of the rock and lets his glory pass in front of you, you still have to do these three things. I can't preach it enough. We can't sing it enough. You say you've made a cliche out of it. Yes, and rightly so. We've got to do it, and we've got to do it, and we've got to do it. I've got to keep my eyes on the Lord. I've got to seek the kingdom of God, and I've got to speak faith into my life. I can't do it enough. I need to do it on Monday. I need to do it on Saturday. I need to do it all through my week. What am I doing? I'm keeping my eyes on the Lord. I am seeking the kingdom of God. And I am speaking faith into my life over and over and over and over. Even if you're Elijah, if you don't do those three things, you will create this momentum of depression this momentum of despair. I want to show this to you in the passage, verse number three. The Bible specifically says, when Elijah hears and sees that they have come to kill him, uh, he runs for his life. That is exactly the error we make. We judge on what we see. Verse number three, when he saw that, what's the second thing he he does? He tries to save his own life. Now look at the absurdity of this. They've been trying to kill him for years and they can't find him. Why? Because God has hidden him. God has protected him. The Lord has led him into desert places. There was no food, but God sent ravens bearing food. I want to remind all of you here today, when God keeps you, there's nothing that can touch you. When God protects you, there's nothing that can destroy you. When God's on your side, there's no one that can hurt you. Though an army is against you, there's nothing to fear. Why? Because he is for me. Elijah's been running for years. He's never had a problem. Why? God was keeping him. So what's the first thing that happens when he stops looking at his purpose and starts looking at the threats in his life? He decides he has to do what God has said he would do. There is a confusion of what God will do and what he should do. So for the first time in his life, he's not trusting God to keep him. He is now going to keep himself. This is the portal to discouragement. This is the path to depression. I want you to see What I said was a cliche. I'm going to keep my eyes on the Lord. Secondly, I'm going to seek his kingdom, my purpose in his kingdom. And thirdly, what is it? I am going to speak faith. Look at Elijah. He sees the wrong things. That leads him to seek the wrong things. The Bible says Elijah went for his life. Notice the confusion. He runs to save him his life and then falls down and asks God to kill him. Now, I want to say that again because I'm afraid you may have missed it. When the preacher goes over, you know, uh, 20, 30 minutes, you start losing. I, I understand. Uh, I, I'm going to try to get done really quick here. Uh, he runs for his life and then falls down and prays that God would take it. I'm okay with dying. I just don't want my enemies to kill me. 
this is the very picture of confusion. And I recognize this deeply because I've been in the exact same situation. My prayers didn't make sense. I had lost the focus of my attention upon God and his work. And I was focused on other things. I lost that focus upon God. And when you lose focus upon God, it's natural for you to think you have to fight your own battles. And this is not the way of victory. I don't know exactly what you're facing, but I promise you, if you get your eyes back on God, if you will focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will see how he can fight for you. And can the church say amen? How many of you have lived this testimony in your life? You have lived this. Come on, let's take a moment right now and praise him for his for him bringing us through these troubles and trials. I want to say thank you, Lord Jesus. So he looks at the wrong things, then he seeks the wrong things. This ends up in despair, absolute despair. He is not now an idolater. I want you to see he's still a believer, but he's still depressed. He's still still praying, but he's depressed. He's still seeking Yahweh, but he's depressed. He's still following after. He's not turned his heart toward uh, Baal. I want you to see the reality that even seeking God, if you don't keep your eyes where they're supposed to be, you can fight despair and discouragement. I wish I could say that depression wasn't something that came against church people, but I I would be very uh, misleading in the extreme if I did that. You can be, as it were, you can be still running after, uh, shall we say, God and his way. And if you're not looking at the right things, if you're not living with the right values, you can begin to say the wrong things. And so Elijah begins making these crazy statements like, I'm not better than my father's. No one ever said that he was. He begins assuming that because he is at the end of his ideas, that God is at the end of his ideas. Uh, He begins believing that because he is at the end of his wisdom, then God is at the end of his wisdom. He begins to think that if he is at the uh, end of his ability, then God is at the end of his ability. And so Elijah decides that his life is over, his ministry is over, and he is simply ready to die, and God challenges him. Notice the gentleness of this confrontation. Notice how careful the Lord is to wait until Elijah is stronger. He's not as tired. Notice the care with which the Lord nourishes him. Notice the patience with which the Lord confronts him. He doesn't do it the first day that Elijah runs for his life. Elijah runs. He wakes up the next day. Then on the strength of that nourishment, he goes 40 days into the wilderness all the way to Mount Oreb. And then at this mountain, the Lord confronts him and the Lord challenges him. And he reminds him that he is with him, that there is still a work to do. Notice the gentleness of God's challenge in the life of of this prophet. I want to remind all of you of the goodness of the Lord in your life as our musicians come. I love the way Romans says it, Paul writing in Romans chapter number two, and he appeals to the church not to uh, despise the riches of God's goodness. Don't forget how good God has been to you. And not just goodness, but he also uses the word forbearance, how patient the Lord, patient the Lord has been with you, how long-suffering the Lord has been with you. And then Paul says uh, this, that it was the goodness of the Lord 
that led you to repentance. Uh, I, I may be preaching to you today, and you may be very tired. You, you may be uh, stuck, as it were, in your cave. Uh, COVID has made caves for lots of us, and we've spent a year in our cave. And it's almost as though uh, coming out of the cave is a challenge of its own. None of us really know how to act with each other anymore. When I, when I come up to greet people, it's like, First, you kind of nod at them, and then oh, one extends a hand, the other extends an elbow, and then you don't know what to do. Can I, can, can, I, can I bump elbows? Do I fist bump? Can we give a hug? Both of you have been vaccinated, but you don't know what to do. Some of you have had it and survived it. Uh, and you don't know what to do. This is the reality of our world. It's like a cave of sorts. And we're coming back out and you go into a restaurant and you don't know whether to follow the CDC or the sign on the restaurant door. And so then you decide not to follow the CD. You decide to follow the CDC because after all, they're the CDC. And then someone yells at you for having your mask off. Uh, I, I got, on Friday, I got yelled at. I had my mask off in a medical place. And they said, put your mask on. I said, I'm trying to follow the CDC. I've been vaccinated. They said, we've been, we've been vaccinated too. I said, why aren't you following the CDC? I got yelled at, but I didn't fight him because I'm so sweet. I make people, people sick. I went right outside. I got my mask. I put it back on. I came on and said ugly things to them as I went by in my spirit. But they couldn't see my lips moving because I had a mask on. They should have known better. If you cuss them with a mask on, it ain't really cussing. You know what I mean? Just having fun. Uh, then the next day, so, so the next day, yesterday, I was in a hotel yesterday, and I'm getting in, a, I'm getting in the elevator, and a lady's standing there, and, and uh, I have a mask uh, in my hand. She has a mask on her, her face, and we're like, don't know if we both can get on the elevator, and we're like, we're like well, I don't know. And finally, the elevator starts to close. I put it in my hand. I said, Let, let's, have a, let's have a discussion about what we're going to do here. <laughs> I said, I'm okay with you joining me in the elevator. She said, oh, uh, yes, please, yes, I don't want to wait for another elevator. She said, I don't know whether to take my mask on or, or take it off. I said, I don't either. I'm just comfortable with people being mad at me. <laughs> and she said, okay. And she said, you know, now that I think about it, me too. And she took her mask off. And <laughs> Nobody knows what to do. And a lot of people wearing masks are doing it as a good example. Nobody knows what to do. There's people who are lying about getting the vaccine, and they think that, and that's fine. I mean, not the lie part. That's not fine. That would be a strange church. I'm just saying, uh, it, nobody knows what to do. It's a weird time. We don't know. Uh, yes, we don't. There's a ton of stuff we don't know. But I want to say, I want to say this. The, the last year has been this cave-like experience, and we're all stuck in this cave. And I, I want to make an appeal to all of you to come out of the cave. Come back into the life of the church. I'm making an appeal to all of you to come back into the life of the church. I miss you. I love you. I want to give you a fat, wet kiss on each cheek. That's gross, but I don't think I can do that. But I just miss you. And I won't do that, I promise, but I miss you. There's a point where you're not, you've been vaccinated. It's not about the vaccine anymore. You just don't want to come to church. If that's the case, I want to, if long-suffering kindness like the Lord, I want to confront you and challenge you and say that's not biblical. We should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. You were not designed to do life alone. It's not the will of God for you to try to do ministry alone. And besides, your husband needs a break. I just thought I'd share that in a spiritual manner with you. 
come out of the cave. And so if I, I know it's a cliche, I know we preach a lot, I know we sing a lot, but it's true. If I take my eyes off the Lord, I'll start thinking I'm responsible for fighting my battles. I'll start thinking I'm responsible for keeping myself. And I'm not. I'm not supposed to worry about those things. That's the Sermon on the Mount. I'm supposed to believe God is able to take care. He's able to give me the clothes I need to wear. He's able to give me the food I need to wear. He knows how many hair are on or not on my head. Do you see what I'm saying? He knows. I've got to put his call, his kingdom first. Keep my eyes on him. There's people who like me, people who don't like me. It's okay. Both camps can be saved, although I personally think one camp has a better chance. But that's just my opinion. I have no word from the Lord on that. Uh, I'm just having fun. I want you to see uh, we have to leave that with the Lord. We keep our eyes on Him. There's going to be difficulty along the way, but he said he'd never leave you. Keep your eyes on him. And if you'll do that, you'll be able to live with kingdom values. You'll be able to value his work. You'll be able to claim his land. And if you'll do that, it'll be natural for you to speak faith. It'll be natural to let the word of the Lord flow through you. Even someone as powerful as an Elijah who is placed in the cleft of the rock Even someone like that has to keep their eyes on Jesus. Yes, they have to keep their eyes on Jesus. They have to pursue the things of the kingdom, not their own agenda. And they have to speak faith into their life. Stand with me all across the house. I want to pray over you. I, I, I feel when I look out at each one of you, and it's a, it's a good crowd today, and it's, it's fun as a preacher to, to see the house start to fill back up. And I, I want to say thank you all for worshiping with us today. We want to be a blessing in your life, a blessing to you. Uh, I, 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 want to, I want to see God's favor upon each one of you. I want to see you flourish. I, I, it's easy for me to have affection from, for you, even if I... I don't see you a lot. When I see you come in the church, I, sometimes I feel like I just, I, I, I have this well of affection for you. I so much want God's blessing in your life. And I'm going to pray for that. And I do pray for that on a regular basis. I want to pray for that right now. Uh, but we are going to, just in just a little while, we're going to have, go across the parking lot. And we're going to eat together and have some time of fellowship uh, together. And uh, before that, we're going to pray together. I know there's needs in the house, and I want to I want to respond to those needs. I want to pray over you. I want to do a slight change to our altar format uh, just to include more people. You're used to us inviting people to come to the front, but we'll still have pastors down here in the front, and I still want you to come. But anywhere in the house, if you would like prayer, uh, you guys know it's my habit to kind of move through the, through the sanctuary during the altar time. If you would like prayer, and I'm going to be moving through, you don't have to come to the front. Uh, just, if you'll just step into the aisle, and I, when I come around or our other pastors come around, uh, we'll see you standing there. We can pray for you right there. The, the point is not to put you in front of everybody. The point is to join our faith with your faith and speak the name of Jesus over your life. I believe it's not enough to simply observe a move of God. We need to become vulnerable to a move of God. And so we're going to do that today as we pray together, as our worship team takes us deeper into uh, praise and worship here today. I want you to feel free to step out to the front. If you're comfortable doing so, please do that. We want to keep that in our church. Uh, If you're staying back, just step into the aisle, and, and as we come around, we'll pray for you. Pray with me right now, church. Lord, 
we stand before you and we acknowledge uh, your supremacy in all things. We acknowledge that in our way, we often grow weary, we grow con uh, confused, we get discouraged. Oftentimes we try to do things by the strength of our own hand that we actually do not have strength to do. And like Elijah, even a great man of God like Elijah, when we take our eyes off of you, then we soon try to do in the flesh things that are a spiritual work. And we end up running aware of our own failure, aware of our own futility, and we're hiding and we're feel fearful and we're exhausted. And uh, we are trying to do in the flesh what can only be done in the spirit. And you gently, uh, you gently confront us and you gently challenge us and you gently remind us that it's, it's in your word, it's in your voice speaking quietly into our spirit that we are we are challenged and we are confronted and we're asked why we are making these decisions why are we in our caves why are we hiding why are we trying to do in the flesh what can only be done in the spirit i want to say thank you lord for confronting us i want to say thank you lord for challenging us don't let us be content to just make a continuing series of errors, but challenge us, oh God. Confront us, oh God. Let us get our eyes back on you. Let your values be reestablished in our life and in our heart, and let us speak your promises over our life. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. This front is open. Uh, please step out, come forward. Uh, if you want to step into the aisle, wherever that's near to you, we'll be coming around. I want to believe for the miraculous in this service here today. In Jesus' name, believe with me. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.